Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to be able to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message from God inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's dive right in. Good morning, Centerpoint. Listen, I know you were peeping the high dollar sermon prop over here, but we're going to get to that in a little bit. I want to tell you this. I can tell right away that this is a Baptist church because everyone's sitting in the back. Have you ever heard of back row Baptists? Have you? Look around, case in point. Case in point. Hey, listen, I'm so thankful that you're here today. I believe that God is going to move. I believe that God is here. And I believe God has a word for each and every person. Do you believe it? Has God been good to you? Has God been good to you? Come on, let's have some excitement in the house. Come on. I want to welcome everybody that's tuning in via Facebook, via our YouTube page. Just want to thank you for being here. I want to encourage you to check out centerpointtn.com. You can contact us. You can check out all the different ministries. We've got a lot of things that we're slowly rolling out, and I'm excited. So thank you for being here. My name is Jason. And we believe that God is still alive and at work in your life, in your town, in your nation, and his world, his universe. You remember that, that song, he's got the whole world in his hands? Y'all remember that? It's, it's true. And, uh, and I'm just audacious enough to believe that though he created the universe, he also calls you by name. So can we start this off by just giving God a shout of praise? Come on. Come on. There we go. There we go. Come on. We're continuing this collection of talks called Normal People. If you didn't catch last week, you can go back and watch it on YouTube. You can go back and watch it on our Facebook page. Uh, I'm a little biased. I think it was fantastic. But you can go back and watch it. And, and, and what we're talking about in this series is, like, throughout the Bible, we see a bunch of normal people being used by God. And I took some time to look at all of the different characteristics. What were some common denominators amongst people, men and women, uh, that God used in miraculous ways? And what were some of the character qualities that they had? And it isn't what you would think that it would be. And so we narrowed it down to three things. Last week we talked about eyes to see. People that are used by God have eyes to see and ears to hear opportunities that are all around you. This week, what we're talking about is that you have to be willing to change, willing to change, and then next week we're going to recap it and kind of cap it off by talking about part three, which is don't give up. So this week, be willing to change. What does that mean? We as human beings, we don't like change. I can prove it to you. Are you ready? There's some of you that in this room, you sit in the same section, in the same pew, week after week, after week, and it doesn't make you like a bad person. It just makes you a creature of, of habit. And, and, and listen, I'm not throwing stones. I have particular gas stations, and you can ask my wife, it drives her crazy, that I like to go to this gas station, and I have pump number one, two, and three in order of where I like to go to fill my, my car up with gas. If, if you're watching and you're at home, and you're sitting there wearing your Sam's Club sweatpants, drinking a cup of coffee, I'm going to imagine that you have a spot in your house somewhere that you sit for times such as these. We are creatures of habit, but sometimes that can prevent us 
from being used by God. And that's what we're going to dissect today. That's, and we're going to look at really two people. We're going to look at James and we're going to look at Zacchaeus. And the first one, believe it or not, will actually be shorter than the second one. Oh, come on. Listen, that's an elite level preacher joke. And some of you just let that pass you by. It'll make sense later, I promise you. But, but, but we're looking at two, two men in the Bible that had paradigm shifts. Two men in the Bible that had to change everything about them. And consequently, they were used in miraculous ways. The first person that we're talking about is James. So write this down, James. And this is who is the author of the book of James. Now, it, 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 may, it may trip you up a little bit because it isn't the James that you read about in the Gospels. Uh, that, that, this isn't one of the brothers of thunder. This is James, which we say is Jesus' half-brother. Why do we say it's his half-brother? Because he is the biological son of Mary and Joseph. Jesus was not the biological son of Joseph. So we say that it's Jesus' half-brother, but he was raised in the same house as Jesus. Now, now let's talk for just a moment about if any of you had a brother or sister growing up that was like the golden child, and it wasn't you. Did you, did you have a brother or a sister who always got good grades and, uh, and you didn't? Maybe you were the golden child, but we're not focusing on you right now. Did you have one of those? My brother's here today. He had an older brother who always uh, got good grades and, and was perfect and got MVP in every sport. You're saying, that's an objective statement. But have any of you ever had that? Like, imagine what it would be like to have Jesus as your brother. I, I'd have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder too. Like the guy never sinned. Imagine being his brother or sister and your room is dirty. And you know Mary's like, hey, your brother Jesus, his room is always clean. Like, I mean, like, military grade, like, no wrinkles in the sheets. Like, imagine when you came home with that C in math that some of you came home with. And Jesus, Jesus got an A-plus in math. Why can't you even get a B-minus? And, and imagine when, <laughs> I'm laughing because I know what joke is coming. And I'm just going to preemptively tell you it's hilarious. But, <laughs> but imagine, <laughs> blessed are those who can laugh at themselves for they will always be amused. Now, Imagine if you're going out to dinner at the Olive Garden and the Merlot runs dry and they're like, hey, Jesus, he, I won't finish that joke. But, but James doesn't believe that Jesus is the son of God because he grew up with Jesus. That would be a really hard pill to swallow. And, and so he grows up his entire life not only thinking that Jesus isn't the son of God, but telling everyone that he isn't the son of God, until the resurrection. And James had to have a, a paradigm shift. James had to say a phrase that us in the church are terrible at saying. I was wrong. I thought I had Jesus all figured out. But he showed me something new. You see, I don't know what the age is, but somewhere along the line in the church, we act as if we have God all figured out. And this is not a movement of God. This isn't what God wants. And, and I think that that's a dangerous slope to start going down. Because 
I think and I want until the day I die that every day that goes by that God reveals more and more of his character to me until I hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so, and so James here had a, literally lived in the same house as Jesus and at, after the resurrection, James had to say, I was wrong. Now, we're only gonna look at one verse in the book of James. I'm gonna make it super simple for you and we're even gonna have it up on the screen. But, but I want you to hear how James starts off his letter. Now, one particular verse shows you the heart of James, shows you that he is saying, I was wrong, and wanting people to know, and you miss it if you don't know the background of it. I want you to hear this. We're at James 1.1. This is how he starts it off. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations, greetings. If you don't know the background of James, that verse means nothing. It's just a salutation. It's just a, hey, what's going on? My name is James. How are you? But listen to this. He says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is James saying, I was wrong. And he's willing to change. Now imagine if James the whole time, just because he was stubborn, said, oh, no, no, I'm sticking to it. Jesus is not the son of God. What we hear about later is that James is used from this point on in some miraculous ways. He, he not only was a major church leader in Jerusalem, he headed up the Jerusalem council. And not only that, he was there at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. And and so he would have missed out, James would have missed out on all of these things if he wasn't willing to say, I was wrong. I thought that this is how it was supposed to be, but now I see that, that, that this is actually how it is. And, and, and in the church, what limits us sometimes from being used by God in big ways, honestly, is we're stubborn. I think there's a reason that we see Twice in scripture, a donkey, and I'm not going to use the word that they call it in the Bible, used a few times by God. Why? Because if he can use that stubborn donkey, he can use you. We have to be willing to say, I, that, that joke's funny. I know in your living room you were laughing right now here, <laughs> but, but I know you're laughing. But, but the reality is that oftentimes we are too stubborn to admit we were wrong. And that limits God from using us. I, I want to show you the other guy that we're going to unpack a little bit today. And it's Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up in church, you know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And, 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 and so we're going to go through this story that is familiar to a lot of people. But I implore you to please don't allow familiarity to breed indifference. I believe that God can show you something today in this story, no matter how familiar you are with it. Be willing to hear something. Be willing to change your perspective. Be willing to question the paradigm of what you think God might be trying to do and be open to hearing what God may be wanting to speak to you. So Zacchaeus takes place in Dr. Luke's gospel, Luke 19. And we're gonna take a look a little bit of this because what you're about to see is you're about to see a man turn 180 from his lifestyle. 
He was willing to change. But why and what is the blueprint to be willing to change? Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. That's actually a little bit redundant, but we're going to talk about that. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Let's unpack this just for a little bit. Now, about a year and a half ago, I got to go to Israel, and I saw the tree that they said that it was. Most likely it was not. They just wanted to sell souvenirs. But listen, I bought one, all right, because this is the one random tree that we know for sure. And, but, but we were there. So there's three things that we know about Zacchaeus based upon this tiny little open portion of Scripture, the beginning portion. We know that he was a chief tax collector. We know that he was wealthy, and we know that he was short. Believe it or not, those three things can let us know a whole lot. You see, you're going to pick up quickly if you listen to any time I preach that I'm all about context because I think that these can not just be words on a page, but if we know the context surrounding them, if we know that these souls that God created and we know more about who they are and what that experience was, we can really have the word of God be more powerful and impactful in our lives. So we have to understand Zacchaeus. He was a real guy with real fears, real doubts, real idiosyncrasies, real all of these different things, just like you and I. So let's not forget that. So three things we know about him. We know that he was a chief tax collector. Chief, everyone say chief. That means he wasn't just a, you know, a run-of-the-mill guy that worked at you know, a pop-up stand at the side of Walmart. This guy knew what he was doing. Now, now if you know something about the, the context of it, the Roman Empire was in charge at the time. And the Romans were smart because the Romans would take Jews and turn them into tax collectors. They would probably recruit them at a young age. Zacchaeus was probably a mathematical prodigy. You don't want him playing 21 at the casino if you own the casino. And, and, uh, and if you know what I'm talking about, then shame on you. But, <laughs> but you don't want him playing blackjack because he's a, probably a mathematical prodigy. Keep in mind, this is before you had the calculator app on your iPhone. I know that you use it, all right? And, and so he would probably have to, on the spot, be able to figure out mathematical equations. Now, most of these guys that were mathematical prodigies also probably didn't really pick up on a whole lot of social cues. Have you ever seen somebody so smart that they can't just have a conversation with normal people? That would probably be that. Now, that we don't see that in canon. We don't see that in, in the text, in, in the Bible. But, but you can pick it up from this is how they were. They were recruited at a young age. Now, here's why the Roman Empire were so brilliant. Is the Roman Empire would take a Jew to be the tax collector so that you're not blaming Rome for when they take all of your money. So you are blaming Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus would actually be a man without a country. He'd be in no man's land because to the Jews he was despised because here you are working for the Romans, taking money from us fellow Jews. And, and, but the Romans were also smart because no one knows the people in the neighborhood and what they have and how much money they have and if their excuses were real, if they couldn't pay up uh, the, the, more than the neighbor who's living in, within all of the people. So he knows who you are. He knows what kind of collateral you have. He knows if you're lying. He knows how much money you have. And he's walking by your house on his way home every day so he can see if you've got a Rolls, Rolls Royce parked next to the camel and you're saying that you can't, <laughs> and you're saying that you can't, 
pay your taxes. He knows that. So we know that not only was he a tax collector, but that he was the chief tax collector, which means he most likely was an entrepreneur and had people working for him, which I said it's redundant because, of course, you would be wealthy because Rome would say your salary is you keep track of what they owe and you can charge any overhead you want and keep that as your salary. And so he would accumulate a lot of money. But, but I want you to think about what that would do with his psyche. He probably was incredibly alone. He probably didn't have very high self-esteem because he hid behind his money. And Jesus preached on money more than heaven and hell combined. Why? Because it's really hard to give your life to the Lord and trust in God as your daily bread if you got a ton of money in the bank account. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. And so I want you to just imagine what Zacchaeus looked like at this time. And then the, the part that's strange, at least to me, is that the Bible tells us he was short. Now, if you think back through the Bible, there's not a whole lot of descriptions of the physical characteristics of people that, that they have in the Bible. Like, we don't know what most people look like. A couple of them, we know that they were bald-headed, or we know that, like, maybe a general age of where they were. But for the most part, the Bible does not describe what people look like. But yet, but yet Dr. Luke takes the time to emphasize that he was short. Now, there's probably a plethora of reasons for why. Um, one of the reasons is to explain why he's about to climb in the tree. But also, I want you to think about, if you already know Zacchaeus, and if you think about all of these different character traits that we talked about, then probably also being short in that culture would be a sign of weakness, which means he probably had the Napoleon complex, probably always wanted to show people and tell people how tough he was. Think of a chihuahua, all right? The chihuahua versus the Great Dane. Who's making more noise? The chihuahua. Why? Because the Great Dane knows he's bad. The chihuahua wants you to think he's bad. And so I picture that he's probably not, he's probably maybe bullied, maybe looked down upon, maybe thought he was less than, so he had to prove it even more. And so I would imagine that there's this drive that gets him there. And this is all going to be important because you're about to see a 180 degree turn with one interaction from Jesus. Can I tell you that if you give your life to the Lord and nothing about your life changes, did you give your life to the Lord? Or are you one of the people the scripture warns us about that's going to say, when they get there, he's going to say, depart from me. I, I never knew you. Scripture implies that they'll be surprised at that. So, so you're about to see a change. You're about to see a turn, but I, I'm spoiling it. But I think you probably already know where we're going with this. So, so we know that he's a tax collector. And then, and then if we look at verse 4, or verse uh, 2, verse 3, or 6, 7, no, no 3, it says he wanted to see who Jesus was. Notice that. He wanted to see who Jesus was. This is important for us. He didn't say he wanted his sins forgiven. He didn't say that life was bad and he needed help. A lot of the people that come to Jesus need some sort of miracle, some sort of healing. He's saying he just wanted to see who Jesus was. You see, by now, word had gotten out. People have been tweeting it. People have been talking about it. And Jesus is coming through town. And people want to show up and see who this guy is. Maybe we'll see a miracle. Maybe we'll see something where, like, you know, the Roman guards are going to come and Jesus says, away from me, and they go flying away. Like, you never know what we're about to see. And so Zacchaeus just wanted to see who Jesus was. This is important. 
Because last week we talked about having eyes to see, and a lot of people are coming to Jesus with no expectations. They just want to see who he is. They just want to see what this is about. So I, I, I want you to notice this for a moment, that we have Zacchaeus up in the tree, verse 5. Let's talk about what happens, and then, and then I want you to, to pay attention to this high-dollar sermon prop. It's going to blow your mind. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All of the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Let's break this down for just a moment. Imagine what's going through Zacchaeus' mind when all he wants to do is see Jesus. He doesn't yell, Jesus! Hey! Who initiates him? Jesus is always the initiator. He is always the pursuer. He will always go after the lost. And if you and I are the hands and feet of Jesus, and we need to have the heart of God, we need to always be the pursuer. We need to always go after the lost. Always. This isn't a cruise ship. It's a lifeboat. Let us have that perspective. Now, I want you to imagine, oh, by the way, side note, there's also just a little bit of chastisement here on Dr. Luke's part. He just throws in verse 7. He didn't have to, where it says the people begin to mutter. Let's go into the house of a sinner. Now, culturally, to go eat at someone's house means that they are on equal level with you or that they are worth the investment of your time. And imagine that. Now, if he's saying he's going to eat at the house of a sinner, that implies that they probably are believers or at least religious people and their hands are crossed, their arms are crossed and they're saying, can you believe? Now why would Dr. Luke include that? Now I'm not talking about anybody at this church, I'm talking about some other church, but often, oh often we are quick to cross our arms and say, can you believe that that person is here? Can you believe that that person is posting scripture on their Facebook page. You know what they did? Be careful. Because on the list of things that God hates, the first one is haughty eyes. What does that mean? Eyes that look down at people and think they are better than other people. God is no respecter of persons. There is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the rest of us. I think Dr. Luke threw that in there just to remind us or we should be eating dinner at the house of sinners from time to time. Now, here's what I want you to really, really understand. Because that ends at verse 7. And we're about to see verse 8, where Zacchaeus is just completely changed. But we don't know what happened in between those two verses. Okay, are you ready? You might want to get your phone out and take a picture of this, because I'm about to look really stupid. So, 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 and I hope this chair can hold two hundo. But, but I want this to look like I am climbing in the sycamore tree, which is totally a sycamore fig tree, absolutely. And, and, and so, but here's, here's what I want. Camera guy, get ready. He, he, here's what I want. This is an important part if you want to be used by God. 
Take a mental picture of this if you're not taking it with your cell phone. I see y'all taking pics right there. Yeah, probably got that Snapchat filter on. I'm probably in space somewhere or I got a puppy dog tongue sticking out. Whatever. This is important. And God wants you to hear this today. Don't throw that around. Zacchaeus had to get away from the crowd of people to have an encounter with Jesus. This is important in 2020 because we're the most busy we've ever been in our entire life. I'm a preacher. I get paid to be good. And it's hard for me if I am not very, very, in, like I, I have to be, I have to make this a priority to spend time with Jesus. Because if not, I get so busy by the crowd of people and by the noise that it is impossible to hear from God unless I get away for a while. So I ask you this. When was the last time that you intentionally set aside some time that if God wanted to speak to you, that you could actually hear it? That you could actually be available? I'm preaching to myself. This is tough. He had to get in the tree to get away from the crowd, to get away from the noise, to hear what Jesus had to say. My challenge to you is start setting some intentional time aside to simply just listen if Jesus wants to speak to you. Now, I don't know about you, but, but my prayers often are just asking God to do things for me. Almost as if he's like a vending machine and I just press B3, bag of Doritos. <laughs> C5, kids are healthy. D6, my wife loves me today. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But she's not in here. But don't tell her that. But I ask you this. I heard someone say this, that, that, that if, would your prayers, if they were all answered, change the world or would they just change your life? Woo, yeah, that's tough, isn't it? So my challenge is to set some, side, some time aside to get away from the noise, to get away from your job, to get away from your kids, to turn the car radio off once in a while, to do something where you could actually just listen to what Jesus has to say. God uses normal people who can listen, be available, have ears to hear, and then the second part is, is you got to be willing to change. This is the part where you clap for me for, for this, this sermon thought. Yeah. Yep. Feel my self-esteem rising. We're doing good, Jason. Verse 7 is when Jesus says, I'm going to your house. Verse 8, you're about to see Zacchaeus make a big announcement, a big declaration. You're about to see a 180-degree change. One time I was preaching, and I said a 360-degree change. But, but if you're going this way and you turn 360, you're still going this way. And I used to be a math teacher. But, but 180-degree change. Can I ask you, are you willing to change everything if God asks you to? The reality is I'm willing to change some things, but I'm not willing to change 
everything. A lot happens between verse 7 and verse 8. Verse 7, Jesus says, I'm going to your house. Verse 8, we see Zacchaeus as a different human being. Why did Dr. Luke leave out the details? I want to know what was the conversation like at dinner? What did Jesus say? What did Zacchaeus say? Like, what did that look like? Why did Dr. Luke leave that out? I don't know, but I have an inkling. You want to hear it? Because if there was, we would probably turn that into a program. We would probably turn that into this is how you get someone saved. And I think with Jesus, it's not a one-size-fits-all. I think it's about knowing who, who the people are and knowing what aspect of God would speak to them the most. See, some people, they need to know that God is Abba because not all of us were raised in a house with great fathers. And to some people, they need to know him as the holy comforter because you've been through some pain. Some people need to know him as the God of Abraham, as Yahweh, because you don't fear anything in your life and you need to know what it's like to be on your knees and to be, to be fearful of God. So I don't think that there's a blueprint to get people to encounter God, but I do think there's a blueprint to be used by God. And the second one is be willing to change. Let's, let's, let's read what happens. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up. Now, in my mind, I picture him just boldly standing up and probably regretting it just slightly after because of what he says. He says to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the... So what you're about to see, right, what you do see right here is that no one ever asked Zacchaeus to repent. But one encounter with Jesus changes everything. And this is what he says, I am about to be broke because I'm giving it away. Why is that important? Because he's a recent convert. Like he just had his first encounter with Jesus and, and, and he's willing to say, I will give everything, everything to follow God. Now, this is gonna be stretching for some of you. Are you prepared for it? Say no. <laughs> Don't say no, that was rhetorical. So I'm gonna, if you say no, I'm just going to repeat it. The reality is, the longer we walk with God, the less effective we become. You want to know who's witnessing to every single one of their coworkers? A new convert. You want to know who comes in and says... I will give everything because I know what desolation is like. I know what depravity is like. I know what it's like to have no hope and now I have hope and I want everyone to know this. But I ask you this, why? The longer we walk with God, do we tell less people about it? I don't know. I gotta be intentional to change that. But you know what, something? I've never had someone I shouldn't say that. I rarely have somebody complain about my preaching. 
Now they'll say like I yell too much or I bounce around like I'm Tigger and, 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 and I, I wear girl pants. Like I, I hear that stuff. That's not true. These girls wear guy pants. Guess what I do here? Oh, she, guess what I do here? Oh, you, you, can't, you can't paint that wall that, that color. Oh, you, no, you better not take that out of there. My great-grandma, Josie, she, she, if you have great-grandma Josie, I'm just making that up, but my great-grandma Josie, she, she, she gave that to this place. So you can't change that. And, and, and what is that? That is, that is mine, mine, possessive. We can't do this. This is what I like. This is what I find comfortable. And if we go back to the moment of salvation, we were all at a spot where we said, we will do anything it takes to have everyone out there hear about this to bring them in here. And somewhere along the line, we got comfortable. We got possessive. And we got distracted from our purpose. And we've allowed division over something the color of paint. Can I tell you something? Oh, some of you ain't gonna like this. I'm about to get my first complaint. This isn't the tabernacle. This is drywall. We are the new tabernacle. We are the church. We have the spirit indwelling in us, but we have allowed the devil to convince us otherwise and divide divide, I'm leaving the church, I don't like this, this isn't what I signed up for since when has this been about us? Zacchaeus can teach us a lot. He was willing to change everything. James, willing to change and say, I was wrong. I thought I had it figured out, but that's not at all what it was. And now I want everyone to hear, and I'm going to start off with humility. We have Zacchaeus that wasn't ever searching for Jesus. And he says, one encounter, and you can have it all, whatever it takes. Now, some people preach this, but I'm, I'm walking this. I've only been here like a month and a half. And can I tell you where I was? Oh, man, I was so comfortable. So comfortable. When this church was on a pastor search, they had over 200 applicants to be the next pastor at this church. Guess what? I wasn't one of them. Let that sink in for a moment. I never applied for this. Yeah, here we are. Why? It's the will of God. And it's not my will. Somewhere along the way, we think it's about us. It's not about us. This whole thing isn't about us. And if we think that heaven and hell are real, we don't have time to argue and get feelings hurt over drywall. People are the commodity. People are the purpose. I want to share something with you. We're almost done. The final thing I want you to write down, I want you to understand about being willing to be changed, is being willing to change, to be used by God, is to simply let God be God. Write that down. Let God be God. Sometimes I, I look at my actions and I wonder what they look like from God's perspective. 
Like, if I really believe that God is God, then why on earth do I try to control everything? Like, I want to do absolutely everything I can to make God's job as easy as possible. And God, I'm sure he's sitting up there sometimes going, Jason, just let me be God. Just chill out for a minute. Like, either you trust me or you don't. And I want to tell you a story, all right? And it's me telling on myself. But, but for, for 10 years, and this is when I let God, this is when God showed me this. For 10 years, I was a school teacher, a middle school teacher, which some days felt like purgatory. <clears throat> I mean, listen, 30 hormone-infested, puberty-driven, terrible hygiene teenagers, and I had to share a room with them every day. If you're a teacher in here, if you're a teacher watching, God bless you. It was great, though. It's a calling. I loved it. I miss it some days. Working with kids is so much better than adults because I could yell at them and they would do what I told them to do. <laughs> Some of you can beat me up, so. But my last year teaching, I had started serving at my middle school, uh, middle school at the church, middle school, and I was serving there. And I'd been serving there for a while and we would drive a bus to the middle school and we would bus over 30, 40 kids. Every kid in my class I would tell Hey, Wednesday nights, come to our middle school service. So word got around that Mr. Baugh was now a preacher. And, uh, and so <clears throat> I had one day, I, I went to my, my office, which is my classroom, and I pulled open the drawer because I had just collected a bunch of book order money, and there was a lot of money in there. And when I went to count it to turn it in, to the administrative assistant, uh, I was lacking $35. Guess who has to pay that when there's a discrepancy between what you collect and what you turn in? This guy. 35 bucks is about all I made for a day's work back then. And, and so I did. And I thought that was strange because I'm super organized. And, and the next day, there's money missing. And the next day, I noticed, like, some of my favorite pens are missing. Like, you know what I'm talking about, like those expensive gel pens that are like, oh, my gosh, if this place was on fire and I could only save you or my pens, I would save you, but I would think about it for just a second. That's how much I love these <laughs> pens, right? And, and they're missing. And I'm starting to catch on that something is going on. So then I decided to test it, and, and I took out, you know, a $5 bill, and I put it in a different drawer. And it was missing the next day. And I'm like, I'm an idiot. I just lost $5 again. And, and then it keeps accumulating. And then, <clears throat> and then I noticed, oh, this is painful, that my box of lollipops from C's Candy were missing. Now, some of y'all don't know C's Candy, but, but the, shops, the, the shops, at least that I know over in California, and I bought like this $30 box of these lollies that like were coffee flavored and butterscotch, and they're unbelievable. And I got them when I went to California last. I brought them. They were in my drawer. Like, it's the equivalent of, like, you know, businessmen and women on hard days. They have a flask of whiskey hidden in their desk somewhere. I had a box of these lollies. And, and, I, uh, and, and I had these. And, and I all of a sudden thought, oh, my gosh. I bet that box is missing. I open the drawer, and it's gone. I'll, I'll give up $35, but don't mess with my C's candy lollipops because... <laughs> They don't ship. I can't get any, any more. And so I decide that I'm going to leave my laptop open. And this is before, you know, GoPro and, and the doorbells that, that record everything. And, and so I left my laptop open. I turned the camera on and I left it there. And the next day I came 
and there was nothing. But I noticed that there was a file in the trash can on the desktop and somebody didn't do like the empty trash, like secure empty trash, and it was still there and I pulled it up and there was a video of a student sneaking back in my classroom, going through all of my drawers, seeing the laptop was recording him, walking up, closing it and moving the file to the trash can and there it was. I would love to tell you that I handled that with so much grace and understanding. I would love to tell you that I didn't, I didn't yell and scream and possibly cuss. I would love to tell you all of those things. <laughs> I just can't. I was furious. How dare you after everything I've done for you? Like, we sponsored this kid. I knew he had a rough home life, and how dare you come back and do that? And I wanted revenge. I wanted to make an example of this kid so that everyone else would know, you don't do that. So I go to my principal, and we make an appointment for him to come in. I find out that his foster parents are going to have to come in because he lives in a foster family. I didn't know that. All right? My principal says, what do you want me to do? I said, I want you to throw the book at him. I want you to send him to the alternative school. And I want every kid in this, this, this school to know you don't mess with that. And he goes, all right, you have every right to do that. So we go down, and I'm going down the hallway because I know him and his foster parents are right around the corner. I do what any one of you would do. I eavesdropped. <laughs> and I'm listening. And, and, and then this was a mistake because I hear the foster parents tell them this was the last straw and now he's going to have to go back to the group home. And I hear him weeping, not crying, not making mistakes, not making excuses, weeping, sobbing. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have come down here. Shouldn't have come down here. He deserves this. I want you to hear this. foster parents leave, he speaks to the school counselor, and he tells her, she said, why would you do this? You love Mr. Baugh. And he said, before my father went to jail, he sat me down and he said, I want you to always look out for yourself, because this world will give you nothing. Everyone is against you, and anytime you have an opportunity, look out for number one. And he said, so that's what I do. He said, no one has adopted me. No one loves me. They all know that I'm going to end up being just like my dad, and I'm looking out for myself. This was right in front of me every day, and I didn't have eyes to see. But now I was about to have the second lesson. Would I be willing to change? Would I be willing to let God be God? So I go home. I tell my wife all of this. And my wife says, you need to give him grace. And I said, why don't you mind your own business, woman? <laughs> Just kidding, I definitely did not say that. <laughs> Are you serious? Your boy's smarter than that. Stay with me. So we went in the next morning, and I sat down with him. I also sat down with my principal, who also is not a believer. I said, was. And I said, 
I know you made some major mistakes, and I'm angry for you. I'm angry at you, and it's not okay. My gosh, if Jesus forgave me, then who on earth am I to not offer the same grace to you? So I'm letting you off the hook. Now, he still ended up moving out of that foster home. He still ended up moving to a different town. Kids still heard about it. But I did what God told me to do and decided to let God be God. I had to be willing to change. I had to be willing to forgive. I had to be willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. Fast forward. 18 months. My principal, who was an atheist at the time, shows up at church on Sunday. What? He's still there today. Gets better. I get a message 18 months later on Facebook. Terrible spelling, terrible grammar, but I'll look past that. And I want you to hear what this says. Let this speak to you. This is how you are used by God when you're willing to change and you let God be God. It's from that student. I'm going to try not to get emotional. He says this, Mr. Baugh, I want to let you know that I'm in a new home, that I'm in a new town, but it's right down the street from a church. And I want to let you know that though you may not want to hear from me, I'm going to work so hard to make you proud. I've been going to that church every single Wednesday night. I've been trying to be like Jesus, and I'll never forget what you did for me. Do you see what happens when you just let God be God? Do you see what happens when you're willing to say, I was wrong, I thought that this was what it was supposed to be, but it wasn't? Do you see what happens when you're willing to say anything that I have, anything that is around me, it is yours. There is no question that you can ask me, God, that I won't say yes to. You have access to it all. Good, bad, ugly, it is yours. You be God. I think about the boy that brought his lunch at the miracle of loaves and fishes. He didn't have very much but he said, but here it is, God. I give it to you. Maybe it will help. And God's like, oh, listen. Oh, I could do something with this. Oh, yeah. I'm not asking you to provide everything. I'm just asking you to give me everything. And watch what I can do. So my challenge to us all this week is to continue to have eyes to see ministry in front of us and be willing to change. No matter what your age is, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how comfortable you are, God has never promised us to be comfortable. He's never asked that. He's never desired that for us. But oftentimes we are not willing to change and it puts a very low ceiling on how God can use you. So examine your life and be willing to give God everything. And that's how God uses normal people. Now, next week, we're going to talk about don't give up because some of you are about to be on the devil's radar for the first time in a long time. So we're going to talk about what that looks like and how to fight through it and the strategies of Satan. 
next week. And I'm excited to go on this journey with you. Would you stand with me for prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that that your word never returns void. And I thank you, God, that thousands of years later, that something as simple as words on a page that you can use as your living word and you can still speak to us all these years later, God. I thank you that you are the initiator, that you are the pursuer, God. And I thank you that your book is full of normal people used in miraculous ways. And I pray for each and every person with the sound of my voice that we would have eyes to see and that we would be willing to change our preferences, our desires, our possessiveness, all of these things that divide us and it's horizontal energy, God. I pray that we could examine where we are and what we have and really strip away all of these different hooks that get us caught in the spiritual quicksand and distract us from our purpose, Lord. Lord, I thank you that your word is full of normal people used in miraculous ways and that you never said, follow me once you stop doing this, this, and this. You just simply said, follow me. And I pray that prayer for all of us today. I love you, Lord. I praise you. And I would do anything for you. You know I would, God. May that be all of our prayer. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If this message inspired you in any way, we would love to hear your story. If you made a decision of any kind, we want to hear that as well. Please reach out to us on any of our platforms at CenterPointTN or you can go to CenterPointTN.com and click on Contact Us. We would love to partner with you. We would love to pray for you and we want to hear more about you and your story and what God is doing in your life. If there's any way that you want to financially partner with us, you can do that as well at centerpointtn.com. Click on the Give button. We're excited to be going through this journey together and excited about what God is doing in your life.